0: To uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Hello, my wonderful listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having a fantastic start to your week, middle of the week, or end of your week, whenever you're choosing to tune in. If this is your first episode of Stay Grounded, then welcome. Super grateful to have you here, and I'm extremely excited to be introducing this week's guest, my good friend, Mr. David Newell. Like many of us, David started out on the traditional path through life. After graduating, he took a lucrative career in investment banking, and all was good for a while until he burned out at the age of 25. The burnout was so severe that David was forced to quit working and take six months out to recover and find himself again. But just like many of our guests and many of the iconic comeback stories in history, this rock bottom moment blossomed into an opportunity for massive healing and self-discovery. In this time, David chose to travel, invest in retreats, get curious about life, and this healing journey uncovered an enduring need to dive deep into the inner self to understand the workings of the mind. And that's where David started the Inner Truth podcast and his new life was born a life filled with growth experiences, fulfilling conversations, travels to the Amazon, to temples, conversations with masters and people in indigenous cultures, and all of these experiences that have been fueled by his desire to figure out what it takes to live a fulfilling life by pursuing your inner truth. I mean, I I am blown away by David, really. Uh, I met David at a Uh, Entrepreneur's Mastermind, and immediately just his openness to get vulnerable and talk about his journey and the things that are holding him back and his courage to put himself out there and experience growth was something that I took away within five minutes of meeting the man. And just through his journeys, I mean, (laughs) you're going to hear a lot about David and some of the incredible growth-fueled experiences and medicines and different things that he's put himself in to develop the level of consciousness that he has now. It is inspiring. And I'm sure you'll feel the same when you tune into this deep and meaningful conversation about life, love, and everything in between. And I hope that you take this As a validation of what can come when you pursue your inner truth, when you pursue what's real for you and you embrace that truth and then you use that truth to create a life you love that is a reflection of something you want, not what society wants, not what parents or culture or jobs or people in your life want what you want. And the pursuit of that truth is one of life's biggest gifts. And this episode was such a revealing conversation around exploring that truth and what it might mean and how it might differ and a lot of the challenges that might come from just going after the things that you really want in your life. And so I'm super excited to have David here. I was also on his podcast on Inner Truth, so be sure to check that out. And like I said, this is uh, was one of my favorite conversations I've had in a while. Uh, it was a, an intellectual deep dive into what it takes to live an extraordinary life by just discovering who you really are. And I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we get started, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on any of the podcast apps. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, we're everywhere. So subscribe to us. All that means is every time we launch a new episode, it drops right in your phone or listening device of choice. Leave your biggest takeaways and lessons as a review, and just let me know what you like and what you're learning, because this is a journey we're all on together, and I hope you guys are enjoying these conversations as much as I am. So, uh, But anyways, without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to be introducing this week's guest. Mr. David Newell. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you're all having a fantastic day. I am so happy right now to be hanging out with my friend, Mr. David Newell. How are you, brother? I'm very well, man. It does me well to see your face again <laughs> and so lit up as well. The sentiment is shared, my man. And it is always a blessing and a privilege for me to share the mic with another podcaster. Like the the nuances of the conversation generally flow in a much better
1: direction. <laughs> yeah, you know you know the river. You know you, the you, yeah, yeah, we, we,
0: We've been on the boat together, so I'm excited to swim down it. Well, no, I, I mean, I remember the first time we met, man, we were at the, at the event in Wyoming and sat next to each other, we skied together. And you just had such a, I don't know if it was clarity, if clarity is the right word, but almost like a, a thirst to really understand the inner workings of who you are. And you weren't scared to go there, which is what made what inspired me in particular. So I'd love to start there, if that's okay with you. Mm. To really understand, uh, I have one particular question for you about just the journey itself. But why do you think the pursuit of truth internally
1: is such an important journey for you? It started. I wasn't always like this at all. In fact, I was actually started my life extremely externally focused. So when I started out, life went to university. I went to business school. It was hyper competitive. Tons of Taipei personalities. Everybody jostling for position and coming out into this super competitive job market. And they kind of pitched us against each other. And in that environment, I just became almost a sort of weaponized version of myself where I was yeah. like, what can be the most powerful, the most prestigious, the most emphatic like version of myself And so I got down the rabbit hole of joining into investment banking for all the wrong reasons, you know yeah. less for the money but more for the power and the prestige and so forth. and you know I stayed in that world for three to four years working you know twelve to fifteen hours a day and all of the deals and all the paraphernalia that comes with that. And what happened was I just had an incredible burnout at the age of 25, a very deep psychological, emotional, and spiritual breakdown. I fell into like a very difficult state of disrepair and ended up having to leave work, leave employment, leave my home, leave my relationship and take time out six, at least six months of traveling to come and then come back and try and make sense of what happened. In that time, I managed to calm you know, my mind down enough and kind of get things back on track a little bit and rejoin work but it started this spark at 25 that's lasted for the last six to seven years now this enduring need to understand what it is that drove me to be so externally focused to go down that path and to pursue what i thought was right for me in that particular way and what i quickly learned was to adjust the lens of my attention and intention you know not externally anymore, but back internally and start this kind of soul excavation, if you like, through initially meditation and yoga, but then latterly shamanism, psychedelics, breath work, and all of these tributaries that you have into the self to really understand the inner workings of the mind. And yeah, get to figure out that actually that is really like what we're all doing or what we're all trying to do. Is figure <laughs> out ourselves. Eventually. Internally. Eventually, yeah. Figure ourselves internally, but doing it externally. So, I mean, most people have like what I experienced in their midlife, right? <laughs> the midlife crisis. So, I kind of like nicknamed mine the water life crisis. But the flames of that complete meltdown obviously turned into something of a phoenix because it allowed me to go super deep into these different paths of self-discovery and learn so much about them. And that's become the body of knowledge that I teach and share and bring people on to talk about on my podcast, Inner Truth, which is about going deep on the inner self. Were you scared initially? Is that
0: Do you think now looking back on your life, you were doing, 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 doing because you were scared of what you might actually find if you started being, 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 being?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of pathology like that, in this case, starts from a place of fear. It starts from a place of being unloved, uh, or having like perceived aspects of yourself, being unloved, you know. I was always very thin. I was always very short. And when I went to university, it was with very big rugby player types. And that was the, you know, the currency of attraction in that domain, in that point in my life. And those very formative years, right? When you're 18 to 21, 22, looking for relationships and sex and so forth. And when who you are or at least who you think you are is not, isn't matching up or recording or calibrating with society, you start to develop some pretty funky, wobbly ways right. of coping with that. And so my way to cope was essentially to weaponize my intellect and to go headlong into banking. And you know, I think ultimately what we all do in every aspect of our life, like everything is the pursuit of love. Even Even in the most twisted and wobbly and fear-bound and shadowy and sometimes manipulative ways, it's all an attempt to find love. And yeah, yeah, it was a a youthful folly approach to finding love. And of course, you know, life has other ideas for you and uh, tends to rub up against these unhealthy ways, these unhealthy patterns, these unhealthy pathologies. And it brings you rightfully to your knees to revisit those things and realize that actually you don't need to behave in a certain way in response to an aspect of yourself that you don't love. It's you just need to bring love and acceptance to it. It's pretty funny. Um, I
0: was having a conversation with a friend about just almost like the need for self-love and the importance of self-love, not because we're adults and we need to take care of our bodies or our minds or our spirits, but more so because there are parts of ourselves that we've almost buried from childhood or from painful experiences that we're not even thinking about. And so there are these patterns that continue to show up, that continue to show up, that continue to show up. And until not just giving love to that side, that person, and it's, it's about giving love to that person in a way that that person needed it. So it's almost like if you have, a, you have almost like a, like a child inside you. And this child doesn't care about the love you're giving it right now in the form of the, of the, of even just what self care is being taught as, whether it's mindfulness or meditation or, or, or retreats or whatever. It's almost like forgiveness.
1: Forgiveness is a, is a, is a crazy tool for me, at least in my journey. Couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that it basically is the journey. We are all essentially shades of shadow to light. And the shadow is just aspects of ourselves that we haven't forgiven and brought into light yet. You know, there's an incredible sort of spiritual system called the Gene Keys by a wonderful writer called Richard Rudd. And um, yeah, for listeners who haven't checked it out, I highly recommend hopping on his site and getting your profile and going deep into that. Because what it does is illuminate to you what your specific... Uh, shadows are, and your shadow patterns are. And his advice, you know ninety percent of the rest of the book is just what you said, which is accept, embrace, and forgive the shadow material because as soon as you do, it starts to transform into into light. What were the most painful shadows that you've had to bring to the light? I'd say I'm still working on the most <laughs> painful ones. I would say that the most liberating one, has been getting over self-image, actually, physical self-image, because funnily enough, I didn't quite learn my lesson after the uh, after the banking burnout. And I came back from traveling and I still had in my head that I needed to get big and get like muscly and kind of like pursue that. And not, not for any like specific health reason, but just because that was the aesthetic, right? And so, I mean, this is a funny story now, but... I hired myself a Greek army like military trainer, (laughs) personal (laughs) trainer guy, and went tumbling down to the gym three to four times a week, and I was consuming like 4,500 calories a day. It was like eating five times a day and having these jumbo protein shakes. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then after nine months, I put on, I don't know, about 10 kilograms of weight, which on my height isn't particularly massive. And then what happened? My lung collapsed in the gym and that was the time where I really got the message where I was like you know what like nature just wants you to be exactly as you are like stop trying to be a rose when you're a daffodil I just let go of it and so that was a pretty beautiful like renunciation of this like limiting beliefs that I needed to like relentlessly change or improve my appearance I was just like just rest effortlessly into it you know Do you think your body has been
0: giving you clues that you're now more in tune to, I guess, acknowledging? And if you look back on your life, like your body had all this wisdom that you just
1: now are like, why didn't I just listen? Well, one thing that you start to learn as you go deep into meditation retreats like Vipassana and go deep into like quantum theory and understanding like the work of Joe Dispenza and even doing psychedelics like the toad medicine is that your body essentially is like the compressed physical version of your unconscious mind. So it's it's showing to you all the time what's going on in your unconscious. And obviously, you know, most of us grow up and have like a pretty mental aperture and sort of lens on our experience because, you know, we're acquiring information all the time during high school and getting graded in that way. But we don't really drop into our bodies and do like a lot of somatic work. You know, you'll probably, you know, like a lot of men have to discover this later in life and get into their body and get into their hearts and get into their feelings much later. And so really you're almost divorced from this communication channel that you have to your unconscious mind. Whereas to your point, if you just listen to your body uh, really attentively. I mean, if you gave it as much attention as you do, like your thought processes, you'd have a significantly better calibration to your unconscious and therefore be expressing what I think of as your like, inner truth to a much greater degree. So the journey really is listening and learning to love the body. Do you think the inner truth is
0: your inner truth or maybe universal truths <laughs> that you've always known the answers
1: to? This is yeah a powerful question. I think there are universal truths obviously. I mean I just had a really 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 powerful experience with the toad medicine 5-MeO-DMT in October. And that's an experience where you know you smoke this toad venom from the the toad venom from the Bufo alvarius toad and go on a kind of a 15 minute power trip to the 10th dimension and then come back. That experience really imbued within me like a strong sense of two things. One is that we're all on the same mission, which is to to your point, to transform shadow to light, to move from fear to love. That is the overall mission that every single person has. It's the global axiom of the universe. Like everything you do is an expression of love, like this podcast and your coffee company and and my work with Inner Truth. But each of us has our own permutation or unique stance to play on that. And actually, it plays into the idea that the universe kind of is a little bit of a mathematical simulation in a way. And I've become very interested recently in the idea that our DNA, which is obviously unique to each of us, is an expression of your unique programming within the matrix or the simulation that is life, right? So you were born at a specific time with specific parents. And in the Buddhist tradition, they say you pick your parents, karmically speaking, to come in and clear up their karma and learn the lessons that you need to learn that they put into you and go on your merry way. But we're all learning the same overall like meta lesson, which is just love, love, love. But you have to overcome different challenges, different limiting beliefs, different conditions, and thus need different strategies in order to do it. So it's kind of beautiful in a way, because ultimately, and I learned this at Toad experience, that essentially everything is a manifestation of love, and that we're all here just to remind each other of that. That's the game of life. That's the boss level, basically. Do you
0: think we use stories to manifest our representations or understandings of love? And the stories we believe along the way create the set of manifestations. I, I truly do believe that we're all following a script that we've written for ourselves in some way, shape, or form.
1: I agree. Yeah, I do. So I've got like really deep into archetypal psychology, right? And the work of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and Carl Jung. And this idea of there being very specific archetypes that sit within the collective unconscious that have been playing out almost at like a primordial level that was pre-verbal, that was in, you know, the human mind. And I do think that we are playing these out. And the work that I was mentioning that Richard Rudd wrote in the gene keys. That's exactly the point that he expresses. He talks about this idea. It's the same in the I Ching as well, that there's 64 specific archetypes that essentially map the human condition. And we all have different flavors of those in our hologenetic profile. So your DNA has specific archetypes. might have others. Now we all have access to and experience the archetypes at all points in our different lives, but each of us has a particular predisposition or a flavor to, and that'll give you specific gifts and it'll give you specific challenges. And so this this is, if you like, the programming, the algorithmic code of the matrix that I think that we're potentially living in.
0: Do you think that building self-awareness builds intelligence in a way that conventional learning doesn't teach?
1: Yeah. I think that self-awareness essentially is wisdom. And there's a big difference between intellectual understanding and wisdom, right? Um, some, Some of the most profoundly wise, intelligent, and just like light emitting beings that I've met, you know, have never stepped foot in a university. They've never even stepped foot in an office. They've just sat and matured insight Either through very strong contemplative practice or meditative practice, or gone down a specific path like Tantra or so forth. But in a way, it's pretty amazing if you think that, like, we don't need to rush around necessarily and acquire information from books or specific experiences. If you set to like a certain practice, you can open up the mind to just bring in this insight naturally just through contemplation. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I think that, for example, I'm 27,
0: right? And you're pretty young too, how old are you? 31. You're 31, right? So we're pretty young and we're having conversations <laughs> that are pretty damn like deep, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're both exhibiting understandings of a concept that most people are spending a lot of time doing. I have always believed that that's because we've pursued an inner journey. Like the inner journey accelerates the understanding and the lessons that might come from external experiences. like You're more in tune to capturing the lessons that life is giving you and then interpreting them in a way that is specific to your own DNA.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think the real trip, and this actually took a bit of a while for me to understand. I mean, you know, you don't have to go far in the spiritual domain to, you know, start hearing that we're all we're all one, oneness is the ultimate truth, blah, 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 blah. And you're thinking, okay, what does that actually mean? Like, because I feel like I'm in a body, I feel like I'm a physical representation of this soul, right? And, you know, in Vipassana, they teach you this interesting story towards the end of the 10-day journey, where they talk about a couple that existed in the Buddha's time. And they get super deep into their practice and they go to the Buddha about five years later and they say, we've both just realized something. We've realized that we don't actually love anyone else. We just love ourselves. And you're like, all right, what does that mean? And they're like, but by loving themselves, they do love everybody else because they're the same thing. And when you do the toe medicine, for example, and you completely exit egoic state of consciousness, I mean, it's like, A quite a frightening evaporation of any idea of your sense of self. Like, you know, the biography of David Newell, age 31, that's had all this experience just completely vanishes and you're just part of this complete ocean of love and light. And then you come back into your body that's when you start to look out into the real world again and realize there's nothing going on almost outside of you at all. Everything is taking place inside of you. Everything you're, you know, is all taking work in the inner domain. And so really the choice becomes you have perception it's how you orient that perception in the world. If you orient it externally, you're just going to get confused. And if you orient it internally, then you're finally understanding like what's going on because the inner environment is everything that there actually is that makes sense of the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, the outer environment is a reflection of the inner environment. I love the, the idea of loving yourself is loving everyone else mm-hmm. uh, just because... When you practice self love and when you truly forgive yourself, when you truly go down the path of understanding, becoming empathetic with who you are, you start to actually understand what other people go through. Like you start to almost empathize and build compassion for the journey of others, and you learn not to judge. So ultimately, by you pursuing your own inner truth, you find the truth in others, or you become aware that a truth exists in others. And what they're going through is just that. It is just a reflection of their truth. And I've always believed that to love someone is to understand them. I think when you understand, you love. I would always, 100% of the time, rather be understood than loved. To me, that is the ultimate form of love. Mm-hmm. So how do you practice building that 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 bridge between people? Do you, do you practice understanding the journey of others or do you focus more on just pursuing your inner truth or is there a balance of both?
1: I have found personally that what you said to begin with has been how my compassion and empathy has really matured. So going the deeper I've gone into some of my own wounds, into some of my own shadows has quite profoundly... Shifted my sense of self compassion and compassion for other people and empathy for their struggles. You know, there's a beautiful line in the I Ching that talks about remembering the hard work of learning to forgive and learning to love. And when you do that and you remember the hard trials you had, you just melt when you see other people. Like, I just feel like nothing but compassion and it's very interesting you know my parents for example are completely different they are (laughs) they're not particularly interested in this kind of work at all so it's always very funny when we're out you know public or whatever and we might see someone or something you know they're their impression is typically to sort of judge and mine is just like full of love and compassion and so it's always an injury but then of course they turn to me and sort of ask why I'm being soft and so forth and you can't help it this is the point it literally completely neurologically reshapes you to have to go back to your natural what I believe is your natural predisposition to just love and altruism basically and wanting to help people because I I think a lot about that kind of classical painting of Christ on the cross suffering. And I think that that is the quintessential archetypal image of the human condition because everybody's suffering in some way, shape or form. Everybody's going through a difficult journey. And so really, we just want to help other people and remind them that, you know, There are aspects themselves to to bring love to. There's always, it's just nothing but love. When you find people who aren't
0: operating under the same modality, are there other things that you do to show them the light quickly? Because I I have this in my in my own life. Like I have people like yourself who understand this fundamental piece and you practice it. And then I have people in my life that don't. Like they they just operate in a modality. So how do you bridge the gap? Because if we are all the same. And fundamentally, if we are all going down that journey of just coming back to our truest selves, how do you show people who may be missing a fund? What, what is the piece that's missing?
1: Yeah, well, I think it all comes down to frequency of consciousness. It's whether you're operating in like deeper, sort of unaware shadow patterns that keep you there, and keep you in judgment, keep you in fear patterns keep you unconscious of the ways in which you can open yourself up both to looking inwardly yourself and sort of being stuck externally and what i kind of think of as as the matrix and you know i'm pretty careful about any attempt to actually jar people out of that because i know myself from just how unconscious i was when i was in banking and how significant my crisis had to be to wake me up from it, that um I, I tend to be quite thoughtful about how other people's paths of progression are going to be. And you know I, I often say that the the depth of the ignorance is directly proportional to the depth of the crisis or the shock that's needed to wake them up from it. But that being said, you know, it wouldn't be much of a useful conduit for like higher truths if I, if I did nothing. And so what I try to do now is explain to people how I can relate to their pain and how I've found ways to move out of it. And so you know, as a great example the other day when I was walking with my dad and he was saying how angry he was at someone that had cancelled on him last minute. And I was telling him about forgiveness. And he was saying, I just can't forgive the other guy. And I said, don't worry about forgiving him. Just forgive yourself. And it blew his mind. It literally like blew his mind. He could believe it. He's like, why should I forgive myself? And I went, because you're the one that's angry. It's all taking place within you. And you're the one that has the complete control to take ownership of it. And the only way to take ownership of it in this case is just to forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for the hurt that it's caused. Forgive yourself for the continuation of that hurt because you're brooding over him. And forgive yourself for the sort of ignorance of not having, not having moved out of it. He's listened to my spiel for a few years now. And it was interesting because in the walk, he actually asked me, he knew that he had come to this point where he was stuck in the same circular pattern and it was starting to wake up from it. He was like, I'm going to ask David for advice. And so it was almost like this like seminal moment where he's starting to think, okay, there's got to be another way. See, that's the beautiful thing about life is it actually, when you're stuck in shadow patterns, it gets really boring and really yeah. tiring because you're just stuck on the same karmic loop until you learn the lesson, right? And so this is my point about how like, you know, it's like a record spinning. It's like how deep does the groove need to get? How painful does it need to get before you jump? The needle jumps out of it. And so I think the thing is, is to be there as the reminder that there's something else. Because, yeah, I think in life, you know, you get what you tolerate and people's pain thresholds can be very high. Mine was very high. And so it required a pretty significant (laughs) meltdown to jump. But we just need to be there to provide an avenue to think differently, to reframe. And what I like to do just to finish this point here, is constantly say to people that you are the architect of your life experience. Because yeah. that's one thing that like, say, for example, my parents, but other people I know can get stuck in is this is constant sense of blame, externalization, externalization. And I just tried to say, I said, do you know what the most powerful thing to do in this situation is to accept responsibility for it? That, you're, that you've created it because it's upsetting you. And that does get through to people because everybody wants to take power and responsibility. Nobody like, wants to feel powerless ultimately, like given the choice. And so that's an interesting way that I try to explain it to particularly stubborn people that are unhappy. I'll just be like, you know, you've got the power in this situation. You just need to think about it differently.
0: Why do you think people find it so shocking that they have ownership over the way they feel?
1: initially this is this is the interesting piece and this is why i love jordan peterson so much and why i think that he's um jumped up in like the culture so much is that to begin with the assumption of responsibility in all aspects of our lives is terrifying even if you're doing the inner work you know there are big parts of my life where i don't take full responsibility for it yet and i'm still learning and i think it's because it frightens my ego It frightens me because taking responsibility for that specific aspect of my life means that I need to change my act and change my game. And that is deadly to the ego, right? The ego wants stability, it wants to keep you carrying on because the unknown is something to be mitigated at all costs. And so, to answer your question, I think that people can get trapped in blame and externalization because it's the quintessential tactic to avoid what we all do on some degree which is try and avoid responsibility because when you have if you take responsibility it may mean like a pretty dramatic shift in your uh, idea of yourself do you think taking responsibility in one area of life makes it easier to take responsibility in another or are they are they exclusive conversations I think that it's learning to play different instruments, personally. I think that, and in the same vein as that, you know, if you can learn certain string instruments or learn certain you know, m- how to read music, there are some corollary mm. skills like the courage and willpower that transcend across all of the symphony that is life. But some stuff really is pretty different. But I mean, I think probably someone that's deeper in the path would say it all comes to one eventually because ultimately like all of these different things are just different fields of battle for our own little belief systems that are playing out inside, right? You know, so I might fear, you know, belief of mine might be like fear of rejection, right? And that's going to play out just as equally in business as it will do in romance. Yeah, But I do think that the strategy... And the approach will vary in those two different fields. So you might build your courage and willpower in business, but it'll look different in love. No, it's the duality of life, right? Like what
0: brings you success in business doesn't necessarily bring you success in romance. One requires speed and, and, and relentless nature. The other one requires compassion and slowness. And surrender, to yeah. s- surrender, a need to stretch moments out past what they actually feel. It creates a whole other set of tools required to navigate those truths. So let me ask you this. If it's easier to get to the end zone in one aspect of life, is it better to pursue the easier paths to get to, to, to an understanding? Or is it better to go down the harder path to get to the end zone? and which one creates more utility in this game we're calling life
1: no i think life is a balance i think it's um i look at it as we like trees right and we're like vines that are growing up together and i think each of those vines represents different aspects of our lives maturing whether that's business romance friendship family fitness whatever and i think that we Let some of those vines atrophy at our peril. And, you know, I've had part sprints in my life where I've only, you know, gone hell for it in business, for example, and just let romance die out. And I've like deeply felt that internally. So I think that, yeah, I mean, it's a classic truism, but I do think that the art of life is balance and the art of pursuing inner work is also in balance as well, just as it is outside, it is inside. It almost feels like if you were succeeding or
0: doing well in one area of life and forgetting another, you're borrowing. You're borrowing from one life. So you're not really winning. You're just playing on on somebody else's ladder. And, and you're and you're you're building you're not building the foundation. The foundation has to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does that balance look like in your life? Like from a from a harmonic standpoint? Like do you create in your own life? Do you pursue things that interest you? Because I think that's a big one too. Like For me, at least, I pursue things that I'm good at.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: because I'm good at it, because I understand it, I naturally want to do it. And I tend to shy away from things that feel that like I, I just rather double down. So how yeah, do you balance yeah, yeah. just pursuing curiosity and interest in life with almost like the medicine you have to take?
1: <laughs> well, I am the reverse, unfortunately, which is that I pursue things that I'm curious and probably not very good at. <laughs> you know, I did a very interesting visioning tool recently. It's called Life Book and it's with Mind Valley. But the yeah. concept is super simple, which is just divide your life up into 12 areas friends, family, sex, career, life, spiritual, emotional, character. And a bunch of other ones. And it was very useful to have a solid think about where I wanted to be in five years from now. And, you know, amongst those 12 fields of play, I would say that like 70% of the stuff I put in there is stuff that I'm curious at and probably not actually that good at. And I was comfortable with that. And I think knowing that that's where I want to be in five years' time allowed me like the permission to just be to just to sit and do the work, basically, even if it is harder. And I think Jordan Peterson always says this fantastic quote, which is like, there's nothing better in life than a problem worth solving. Mm-hmm. And like Love a, problem, a problem that you just have no idea how to figure out. I mean, for example, one of the things I put in was I wanted to get to piano grade five. And I don't know how to play the piano. I've never like picked up an instrument in my life. But the joy of the difficulty of the problem combined with my ineptitude with it has given me like really deep enjoyment of that craft versus say I could have picked up, you know, doing DJing something where I definitely have like more of a skill set and more sort of competence there. So, yeah, my predisposition is to make life hard for myself, basically. But I find that there's just such great meaning in the depths of that. I probably don't have like the best answer with respect to that. No, about no, 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 no. This was that this was beautiful. But yeah, it's it's a philosophical approach. Yeah, I think it's beautiful.
0: I think you're, especially when you vision. I, I've always believed that whatever you're visioning is is just something. It's a reality that you're you've already experienced. or it's 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 just time. Time is a is a flat circle, right? So, if you really think about it. These are things. These are concepts that I think a part of you has always wanted just in your subconscious and your unconscious. It's something that you've seen or grown up around or, or drew. And when you vision, you're almost pulling out stuff from your unconscious. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what, That, that you've always wanted this, put it out there. And then now it becomes real. And then you can just stay curiously present throughout the process and allow yourself to master it along the way. I'm particularly curious about your take on just lifestyle design in general. So, mm. I some interesting stuff when it comes to life design. And it sounds like Lifebook was a great opening of doors in that regard. So how do you um, intentionally design a fulfilling life for yourself or design a way of living or a lifestyle that allows joy, abundance, and fulfillment to flow through it
1: freely? Yeah, I mean, I've had to get relatively militant with my schedule in order to create that for myself because my predisposition is constantly almost magnetically into work because I love the field of self discovery and I love doing inner truth and it's a wormhole because (laughs) it It'll mess you up. It'll mess you up. And last last year it did. And I saw all the same pathologies that were playing out from banking and so forth that you you can just love your work too much. That's that's yeah. what I learned. And so I the the life visioning process, which I'd encourage anyone to look at, even if you just want to do it like on the back of a piece of paper, it's super simple. You just ask the four questions, which is like, where are you at now? Where do you want to be at? what's your beliefs that you currently have and what's your strategy to get there. There you go. I just ruined a $500 info products that <laughs> might have <worked. laughs> but uh, what it helped me do was then be like, okay, I, to be honest with you, it was challenging because actually, you know, I equate like more time and more work to like likelihood of success faster and the ego's impatient. Right. But I was just like, okay, if I just pour all this time into inner truth, then it'll get like higher, faster, right? But I'll just be there in three years' time without having done any of this other stuff and just be unhappy with it. So I just made... just The switch went off in my head and I was just like, just allow it to have whatever growth it's going to have, but only with this specific amount of input. And then forcefully put in skateboarding, piano, yoga, ecstatic dance... I do a lot of weird things that so, uh, sort of <laughs> smattered around the daily schedule. But even stupid stuff like scheduling, like forced time to like call my parents or whatever. It is overly regimented. I think that's probably something that I, as a personal character, needed to hammer in. But it has been something that has materially impacted and improved my life. And of course, the classic thing, and this is why I think balance is so important, is because the best quality idea comes when you do sack off work at the time that you need to and go out skateboarding. And then you know the idea that's worth X amount pops into your head on the skateboard and not in the additional two hours that you would have spent beavering away in front of your MacBook. That is the modus operandi that I'm trying to go for. And I think... At the end of the day, like you set, you set the measure. Nobody really cares what your performance is going to be. It's always going to be you against yourself now, and in three years' time, and in five years' time. And I would love it in three years or five years' time if I hit my piano, I'm dropping down a vert on my skateboard, doing everything that I I hope to do. That to me is the meaning of like a life well lived. The whole scheduling thing. I'm a like an absolute animal when it comes to that. I.
0: I think most people try to change themselves. I think it's faster to change your environment so that you're forced to change. It's a lot quicker for me to put like a schedule, like something on my calendar that forces me to go and act like a piano lesson or whatever that might be, maybe a gym session, whatever it is. So totally on board. I mean, I have reminders in my phone, like scheduled to like text people. Like I have like, like text someone you love them or like, exactly exactly pepper them in and then I don't have to think about them and then I can just stay present. This, I think I heard this from a guy named Neville Ravi Khan, and uh, he's got this idea that fear, all thoughts are fear. They're either thoughts of the future or thoughts mm-hmm. of the past. Mm-hmm. And so when you're saying present, that's why thoughts are fleeting. Like you cannot focus on any one thing for longer than a minute. It just goes away because it's, it's like, there's no fear. So when you combine accountability, like a calendar or reminders or different things to keep you on track to living that full and intentional life, then you can just stay present. And as you're saying present with it, all the fear of, Oh, I have to do that. It's just, it goes away. So I think you accidentally... I don't know if you were doing that, but that's how it's shown up for me. I'm accidentally just living an awesome life. Because <laughs> my calendar is keeping me accountable to do so.
1: Now I'm doing that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the wonderful book, Sapiens by Yuval. Yes, Moore. I actually have it right here. I mean, that book just really impressed upon me that we're basically just monkeys walking around in suits. And look, you got to look at that fact super compassionately. And then just be like, all right, I've got a mind that's pretty prehistoric and monkey-based. So let's just work with what you've got. And I think the calendaring and the very deliberate scheduling of all of these silly things right down to the most ridiculous, like just texting your mom that you love her or whatever, is how you keep the monkey mind at bay and stay present. Yes,
0: 100%. David, talk to me a little bit about some of the energetics work you're doing and, and the stuff you're teaching.
1: Yeah. So we touched upon it a little bit during the call, but I'm looking at launching this year in the next few months, like a really, truly unique and groundbreaking product. I'm I'm slightly nervous about how it's going to come when it hits the market. But essentially, it's built around three systems. One is human design, two is the gene keys, and three is archetypal psychology the grounding that is basically based in is that all life is energy the whole universe is energy and each of us has our own unique dna and so each of us has our own unique energetic blueprint and an expression of that and, you know in culture and in society we often describe what's actually our energetic blueprint as our personality so i might say like oh raj gets tons of energy from sharing and speaking on a podcast but actually Uh, Well, I might say he likes that, but actually what it means is you just get energy from it. And likewise, I might say, oh, you really dislike a certain thing. And actually, it just means that it's draining your energy from it. And so what this course is aimed at doing is helping you look at life through the lens of your energetics instead. And human design is this incredible system that this guru came up with in the 1980s. And it's based around the concept of dark matter and these little particles called neutrinos, which back then weren't even discovered and now have been discovered with the Large Hadron Collider and is a Nobel Prize winning achievement. And his contention was that at the point of your birth, there's dark matter flying around you all the time. And that your your DNA is coded at the specific point in your birth with specific energetic frequencies that create the map, create the archetypes and create the genetic hologram of your life. And this system then helps inform you as to be what are your energetic strengths? What are your weaknesses? How do you make decisions properly? How do, what are your superpowers? How do you orient yourselves and how do you execute on that? And so this course is going to allow you essentially to put in your birth data and then get out of it a very powerful map of essentially who you are and what you're here to do and how to deliver on it. And most importantly, it tells you what your limiting beliefs are in the unconscious mind and how to transform them through what specific activities. So if I give you mine, for example, my, my reading tells me that I, sh- that I have like the archetype of the priest which means that i should be sharing and teaching and dispelling information of a spiritual or transcendent nature and that my power is in my voice and in my ability to synthesize ideas and express myself and that i need to be doing it to a to a large audience so obviously that's what i'm doing within a truth and it's going very well but you know there are multiple multiple different permutations and where this course and this idea becomes super powerful is for people that simply Aren't really sure what they're good at and aren't really sure how to make good decisions and aren't really sure or confident about whether to jump. And you know, you probably know as many as I do, just how many people, young people are out there, you know, stuck in jobs that they don't really like a bit like I was when I was at Citigroup. And you get into this horrible, almost paralysis when you're like 27, 28, 30, even 35, where you're just like, well, I've just been doing this job. I don't like it, but I don't have any other experience. So I don't know if I can jump and I don't know I haven't really done any discovery work, so I'm really not confident. And so something like this comes along. And more often than not, it will speak to the deepest, truest essence of your soul. Like it'll be there. It resonates. So when you deliver the reading to someone, they're like oh, yeah, I've been having dreams about that or I've always had like a thought about that or whatever. And you're like, boom, that's what you need to go and do. And this is how you go and do it. And let me guess, you're not doing it because of these limiting beliefs like, ah, oh, you feel like you need to do it all on your own or you think of this particular issue. And it'd be like, that was all programmed in, that's fine. This is how you get out of it. And so, you know, my vision and my love is in empowering people to essentially find and live out their inner truth and say this course which i'm affectionately dubbing destiny is going to be something that helps do that for people i'm excited for you man just even the way you speak about it i I feel
0: the energy that you're putting into it and i'm excited so if people so
1: i guess we'll know when it's ready i'll find out when it's ready (laughs) Yeah, yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it for you but I think as you're already crushing life it won't be <laughs> well, I'm curious no I'm I'm
0: a I'm a personal development junkie if you would and I can never spend enough time with myself so <laughs> I'm passionately curious to to fine tune my own journey so I'm I'm personally interested so we'll get we'll get all the information David so guys that's the inner truth podcast that's where you can actually listen to David I literally didn't even want to speak when David was speaking just because I the accent, man.
1: The accent, <laughs> like, I don't know what oh, it the is. the voice. But... It's that was, it, was, it was my genetic gift. <laughs> well, yeah, I
0: mean, you articulating the different dimensions of, of life, love and everything in between with a soothing voice, just it was, it was very cathartic. So I appreciate that today, David. But yeah, guys, we'll make all of the links available for David and all of his work. Um, but David, Man, I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you've been through and everything you continue to do, how do you stay grounded?
1: Hmm. Breathing. Hmm. Breathing practice. Yeah. You know how it is, man. When you're cranking at work and you just start getting up into the head and the stress begins, I just stop everything. And I've got this new practice called the flow process. There's a killer guy called Jero Taylor I highly recommend checking him out. He runs Flow State, and he taught me it. And it's super simple, two minutes. You just do 20 deep inhales, exhales, circular breathing, Wim Hof style. In, out, in, out, in, out, in, out, hyperoxygenate. And then you take one massive inhale in, hold it and then let go and just land mm. for a minute. And it just drops you into presence like you said um, whatever it is whatever situation you're in just evaporates that sound uh, just thinking about doing that
0: like just made me feel very 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 connected Dan you are such a light my friend I lots of love for you and I'm just grateful you took the time to be here so thank you my pleasure
1: man thank you
0: sharing your gifts but everybody that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded I'm your host Raj this is your friend David from us. Stay grounded. We'll chat with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life.